Welcome to DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sector Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And this episode is sponsored by our friends at 2-6 Digital, a full-service agency that offers integrated marketing solutions exclusively to destination marketing organizations and members of the travel, tourism, and hospitality industries. Dave Serino, Brian Matson, and the 2-6 team assist DMOs with developing measurable and successful digital marketing strategies through the specialized solutions to elevate the overall understanding, strategic direction, and tactical implementation of impactful campaigns. You can learn more at 26digital, all letters, no numbers, 26digital.com. And now it's on to our show. Beginning his professional career in 1981, Akron native Greg Mervis is an active member and advocate of the travel and tourism industry. After 14 years with the Quaker Hilton, Greg left his position as director of sales in 1995 to become director of sales for the Akron Summit Convention and Visitors Bureau and the John S. Knight Center. In 2012, Greg was named as president and CEO. He is responsible for the management and oversight of the organization's three business units. He currently serves on the board of directors for Downtown Akron Partnership, the Akron Roundtable, and the First Energy All-American Soapbox Derby. He also assisted with the attraction and facilitation of Gig Games 9 and the 2016 RNC. Greg is a member of various national industry associations, including Destinations International, the International Association of Assembly Managers, and the National Association of Consumer Shows. His involvement to foster the hospitality ecosystem at the state level also includes serving as passport president of the Ohio Travel Association, also with the Ohio Association of CVBs, and the Ohio Hotel and Lodging Association. In 2019, he received the coveted Paul Sherlock Lifetime Achievement Award from the Ohio Travel Association. Greg currently resides in Akron with his wife, Terrell, and daughter, Grace. Greg Mervis, my friend, welcome to DMOU. Hey, Bill. Appreciate you having me. I uh, feel like my street cred's going to go up a a level or two after this conversation. (laughs) No, no, no. My street cred is going to go up because I had you on as a guest, right? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, before we get to your three questions and bonus round, tell us how your DMO and your destination is rebounding from two years of pain, because not to diminish the pain that any DMO experienced, but you're a DMO and a convention center, and that had to be doubly hard. So tell us how you're rebounding from that. Yeah, I appreciate it. So everybody, obviously at different levels, everybody felt the magnitude of what has been going on and and the energy also that we have coming out of it. But in the the process of managing the convention bureau and then two physical buildings, it was tough to just get them just basically shut down and send everybody home. And then it was two years ago, ironically, it was two years ago yesterday that we had a meeting at two o'clock. I looked back at my schedule, pulled everybody into the exhibit hall and said, don't stand any close to one another and stood up in front of a microphone and said, basically go home and we'll let you know what's going on. Um, so it was super tough as it was, as I said, for so many. We're attempting now not to really look back, but to really spend our time looking forward uh, to bringing back the staff that we had to lay off to be the leaner, tighter machine that we learned to be because we had to be, uh, not because we necessarily wanted to be. And then look forward to, you know, again, starting off in 
Uh, we're going to talk, I'm sure, a little bit more later about, you know, sector relevancy and just making sure that everybody understands the importance of the sector, the relevancy we have to community, not only economically, but as far as unique assets, uh, things of that nature. I think that's really where we, we need to go and where we want to go as we're coming out of this. You know, interesting point, though, that you've had people who have been laid off or furloughed for a number of months, if not a couple of years. And you know, many of them have had to find other work. I mean, we're all feeling that, that good people that we had on board that we had to let go have found other pursuits. So when you say you're trying to bring people back, how hard has it been to identify those people that you lost that, that you can get them back? Because, I mean, that kind of experience is hard to replace. And you know, you'd, you'd rather have somebody who's, who's been in the trenches and done it before rather than have to retrain or, or train somebody to actually uh, step into that role. How's that going? Yeah, it's, it's a great point. I mean, and when you, we lost some really, really good people and it's, it's unfortunate, but they, and they, with them, they walked out the door, not by choice with some institutional knowledge. It is just invaluable. So to bring them back and to find somebody with that sector or building institutional knowledge or the nose of community is really, really tough. And then since this is a, an honest conversation and it's just you and I talking, the desires for the workforce right now and their desire to work from home, the level of flexible hours, what they're looking for, the salaries they're looking for are really, really challenging. So if you combine those two things, it's, it's been tough, but we've been very fortunate, um, hopefully based uh, partially on the, the atmosphere that the team has created here in, in the the desire to work for an organization that functions, uh, has the business model that we do, that we are finding good people. So I do feel good about the future, but it is it is not an easy go. When you put out a call for applications for a position and you used to get, you know, 50 and you get 10 quality candidates and you had to decide uh, who it was, now we're, you know, standing on the street corner handing out business <laughs> cards saying, hey, would you like to come work for us? Maybe not quite that bad, but it's pretty close. Yeah, I hear that. And you're right. It's Kind of hard to work from home on the uh, convention center side, isn't it? <laughs> so it's, it's tough to serve a banquet from your living room. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, best of luck as you continue to build back. Over the years, we've seen some attempts at merging DMOs and convention centers. And, you know, I get it. It sounds reasonable on the surface to a lay person. But in reality, it rarely works. And for a number of reasons. That said, the Akron Summit CVB is one of a handful where joint management really does work. Tell us about the secret sauce that makes it work. How have you done what so many others have not been able to do? Um, sheer luck. No, uh, I, <laughs> I don't like, believe that. I like to think it's a little bit more that. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So just roll the clock back a little bit. I mean, I think that initially going into it, we were very fortunate that we had believers and we had dreamers. So we had people that believed in what we could do and how this all could work. And then we had dreamers that really dreamt about that this is a possibility and what it could look like going forward. And then you need those, obviously, this is, you, you have a bright, very uh, intelligent listening audience. You, you need those uh, those champions that are going to be out there talking to your legislators or your city managers, or your, your county executives, county commissioners, your mayors, saying that this is a good 
plan. And then you also need your sector partners for the hotels, your major attractions saying that, yes, this is going to make sense that you as a management team or the fear is that you as a management team are going to lean too heavy towards one of the two sectors within it, that you're going to be too convention center right. and you're going to only go worry about downtown and, and banquets in the building, or you're going to worry only about the convention bureau and you're not going to worry about filling the buildings, which is then going to take care of downtown. Those are key important tactics and strategies uh, early going on uh, going into it. And then I think that the, you know, sort of the, the secret sauce that we talk a little bit about is being willing to and having the ability to do the work because it is, it is each industry on its own is similar, but they're in completely different lanes. So the marketing, the search engine optimization, the ad placement, uh, the sales tactics, everything that you do in a convention bureau some of that flows over into a convention center, but when you're in a convention center, the people in the bureau don't worry about health department regulations and, uh, you know, certainly now air filters uh, and cleanliness of air, uh, the byproducts that come all out of that, the collective bargaining agreements that you have for the unions that you that are in-house that are serving the banquets, the IATSE team that's setting up the meetings and events, things of that nature. So they're, they're completely different, and, and I, I think that they need to be navigated together, but at the same time, you almost need to have two different mindsets in how you do that. Um, there are advantages. Uh, bureau work is a little bit more long-term. You know, you plan for, you plan today for tomorrow and the next day. Center work is a little bit more immediate. You buy fish today, you cook it tomorrow and you clean it up tomorrow night kind of thing to make it a little <laughs> more rudimentary. But it all goes back to the importance of the sector and the hospitality ecosystem and what it can do. And in this case, hopefully does do for a community. I think that the secret sauce to get directly to your question is the people. If you don't have the right people in the right places, just like any organization, because there's no way that I possibly could understand all the different nuances within each of the different disciplines um, that the VPs or the directors of each of the operations has, but the ability to have those right people that are there to give you the key information so you can work with them to make key decisions and enable them um, to go out and, and, and do the things that they need to do, I think is that's really the secret sauce is the people and then um, sector support and uh, support of the political sector within your community or municipality. Yeah. And if I could add to that, I think, and you just touched on it a, a minute or two ago, that there is always going to be the fear that at some point, you know, you lean to what feels good or what you're good at. And so this was one of the issues that was going on in Duluth last year when the mayor wanted to fold the bureau underneath the convention center. And I and, and others were advising them saying, hey, a convention center is a vertical, a DMO is an umbrella. And so really it should be the other way around. The convention center should be a division of the DMO because that way we know that in tough times, you know, like we've just gone through, a convention center is a fixed asset that needs to be fed. And if you have reduced income, that means your marketing suffers. That has not been the case for you. We've had this conversation before that I think one of the other pieces of that secret sauce is that your city and county have said, you're going to be made whole on the DMO side regardless of what happens on the convention center side, correct? 
Correct. There's a complex um, pattern of the, of the funding process, but the, the convention bureau will always be whole, whether the convention center has a, a, has a net loss at the end of the year as far as earned revenue. That's correct. Yeah, and I think that's a really key component that we don't see. And that's why I think other examples of this philosophy have failed because, you know, and I'm not going to name them, but there are a number of DMO convention center combos out there. One of them I'm thinking of particularly that I think the total budget is something like $20 million, but only a million flows to the DMO because the center continues to lose money. And so it's kind of counterintuitive here. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe you wouldn't be losing money if the Bureau actually, you know, was fully funded because then they'd have a sales force out there to do what needs to be done to get the business here. Before we leave this, the, the combo thing, I think the other issue is, and you said it, it, it's two different disciplines. It's two different skill sets. And I'm just fascinated at how you have created this all hands on deck staff meeting that really has served to inform both sides of how all of this works together and that everybody has value. And, you know, I'm sure the convention center folks who are, you know, all sweaty and, and, and stressed because they had to turn a couple of rooms and they look up at the bureau office and, you know, you're all sitting up there eating bonbons and, and having cocktails. I'm kidding. But, but there is that thing. I mean, I've talked to a couple other combos where there really is kind of a, a subterfuge between the two groups because both of them don't understand the other one. Tell me about how you've gotten this culture to just kind of explode with these two fairly disparate parts? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it went back to, as you said, people don't understand what the other people are doing. So they say hi to each other in the hallway as they're getting coffee or whatever it might be. And they have a basic understanding. The department heads are in meetings together. The majority of the rest of the staff really isn't. So, you know, if you think back to those real old sort of classic movies where the ho- it's the hotel lobby and everybody's lined up and the manager is very stern and he's walking through and he's, you know, dusting off someone's shoulder and snapping someone's tie to make sure they're just pressed correctly and everything. So, right. you know, everybody gets right. in the lobby and they know what's going on that day. We're not quite that way, but what we have is we call it stand-up. So it's every day, 8.45. If there's a major event going on in the building, if there's sales teams out on a blitz, and obviously not everybody's there, but the majority of the time, nearly everybody's there. And you go around the room and everybody takes 15, 20, 30 seconds to say what's going on that day. We're doing sales calls on these particular people. Uh, the chef says, I have a special order of these steaks that I haven't tried coming in. So, you know, at two o'clock, we're going to do a little taste test. And if anybody wants to swing up and let me know if it's too spicy or not. Uh, the, the operations team says we're testing some new um, coax cable. We're going to run some CAD5 into the ballroom for this event that's here next week. Um, security talks about, you know, that there's been some looters, you know, other parts of downtown or marketing talks about, what they're doing. And everybody has a really fair understanding. So as you, to your point earlier, so when that salesperson's walking out the door at 430, rather than the chef who's going to be here till 11 o'clock that night with the, the banquet for Kiwanis for 900 people, doesn't think they're going home. They know that they're actually taking an evening away from their family also. And they're going to an event where they're going to have another rubber chicken dinner, and they're going to be there at the nine o'clock listening to a speaker or whatever it might be. So everybody has a fair understanding of what the other people are doing and probably most importantly, how all those pieces of the puzzle fit together to make 
an organization, this organization successful. And the recognition that if one of those parts is not working or is missing, that we as an organization don't do well. And then it's also time to sort of, you know, shout out some accolades and let people know that there was a big booking in this department. We had this number of engagements on this website post. We finally finished that major project in repairing the leak on the roof, whatever it might be. And then they buddy around a little bit more and, and they make friends with each other a little bit more. And it's more of an inclusive family rather than just, yeah, that guy over there or that woman over there, that's what they do. And I think we do a good job of it. I mean, it's really, really turned out very well. I say very little. The staff really leads the meetings. Um, they were challenging during COVID. We're getting back into yeah. them now, but it was very much so on the daily. I think it's helped us well to have a fair understanding of the complexity of magnitudes of what other people in the organization are doing and how it all fits to make the organization run how I would like to believe as a well-oiled machine. And the other part of that is that when you do understand each other better, especially when it comes to the convention center side, that person from the bureau side leaving at 4.30 and looks over and knows that there's a serious turn, that you had a major lunch event and now you're prepping for an evening event. I've heard that you have staff from the DMO side that'll actually just kind of you know toss off their coat or put on some jeans and go and help flip a room. We'd like to have the, you know, what do you need attitude approach. Um, you're walking into the hall and you see that there's a room needs flipped, as you said, and it's, you know, you have an hour to do it and it's really going to take an hour and a half. So it's all hands on deck because at the end of the day, the beginning and the end of the day, we all work for the same organization. Yeah. While there's different divisions within the organization and different responsibilities within the organization. We all work for the same organization and ultimately we're all are here to service the guests in the best possible way. So if we're not willing um, as the as the bureau to help out the center, if we're not willing as a center for the chef to say, hey, I know you're delivering cookies, but I can make cookies here too and make them a little bit better and put some extra chocolate chips in there and put them in bags of three as your, you know, whatever it is, something as simple as that, it really, really works out well. And, and, and that all goes back to the team approach. Yeah. So your success with the John S. Knight Center certainly was recognized by the city. I, you know, it's working amazingly well. The city then, a few years ago, actually more than a few, but it seems like a few. Time just kind of... Yes, it does. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but they look to the Bureau to now not only manage the convention center, but the sensationally refurbished Greystone Hall. Did adding a significantly different product to your management mix make it harder or easier? Because the convention center is a pretty standard convention center. Greystone is an absolute gem of a meeting facility. I think formerly a, a Masonic temple, correct? Yeah, this is exactly right. Yeah, I mean, so it is completely different, and yet it's really very much the same. If you think like of an, an antique car versus a newer car, the majority of it's the same, but there's certainly nuance as far as running a 105-year-old building now. And it was not shuttered, but close to shuttered. And the city, it fell back under the city's um, ownership through a, a long and complicated uh, receivership. And they said, hey, you know, sometimes you're a victim of your own success. Hey, you guys do a great job running the convention center. It's just across the <laughs> yeah. street. Why don't you come over here? Well, the convention center, as you said, is a pretty much a standard it's a gorgeous 
convention center. It's a wonderful building, but oh, yeah. it's a building. Yeah. Um, and it's it's square and there's escalators and there's elevators and there's loading docks. And this this building across the street is seven stories. Uh, we have six retail tenants on the, the street level. So we're getting into retail tenants. We have an office tenant on the fourth floor. Uh, we have a, a actor's uh, equity theater on the sixth and seventh floor and a 500 person um, theatrical with a proscenium and, and, and the whole nine yards. It was part of this old Masonic temple. And to say that it was not clean and opening type uh, status is probably an understatement. And we had three weeks to do it. Wow. You know, develop menus, get it clean, get all your permits, get your liquor permits, do the whole nine yards. And we did. And it's it's turned out to be a fantastic asset for us. So you control the the street visual across the street from the convention center. So when people are coming out the front door, uh, what they see across the street. And it gave us the ability, um, and this is sort of a small but important detail, with some of those retail tenants were, were not a for-profit ownership to say, okay, it might be a struggle for you for the first year. So for the first year, you're lease your rent is going to be x amount significantly lower than it would have been if we were for profit and what that does is it gives them the ability to get up get going get running let's say it's a local bakery and it fills the spots across the street from the convention center so when people are coming out of the building they're looking across the street and it's activated space there's activity there's something else to do or if they're coming a little bit early for a meeting or if they're here for three days things of that nature rather than empty storefronts out side across the street from convention center, which does not have a good look or does not suggest a, a successful, you know, downtown community. So it gave us that ability too. then the tenant on the, the fourth floor, the office tenant is downtown American partnership. So the, it's the, the partnership that sort of holds together all the glue of all the different initiatives downtown. So if they're your tenant, you're in contact with those people and those people of influence within that organization, I won't say on the daily, uh, but as Close. the kids say now on the daily, yeah. Close, close. Um, and and you're, you're in those conversations, you're embedded in those conversations, and that's fantastic. So it's great. It, it's, it's difficult because it's across the street, but then at the same time, it's only across the street. And that certainly raised, again, the relevancy of the Convention Bureau. This Convention Bureau is more than, which is a lot, but more than a destination marketing organization. We are really feeding into the hospitality ecosystem on all levels as far as procurement of food, procurement of services, you know, people to repaint antique walls and things within. The, so it really, really stretches out into a lot more than we were just over at the convention center and gives us a lot more space. And then additionally, uh, the not low hanging fruit, but if the convention center is full, and they need some additional breakout rooms, we can say, hey, look, right across the street, you still have a single point of contact. We have the space over here. You still have a single point of yeah. contact as far as food and beverage, as far as operations, whatever it might be. And we have the, the space across the street. Or if they need you know, a different venue, if they're going to be here for four days and want to do a reception, not in the ballroom again or in the exhibit hall, we can take them across the street and do something a little bit more themed uh, and sort of mix it up a little bit to sort of raise those expectations and differentiate us from other destinations. Well, and this really is the epitome of destination management, that you're managing the ecosystem across the street. And the look and the feel and the ambiance, this gives you that amazing opportunity to have a really condensed, exceptional experience for everybody who comes for either one of the buildings. 
in the signage outside, you have similar signage package. So people sort of recognize, well, they're not the same, but they're sort of of the same flavor. It gives you uh, increased buying opportunity. And to be honest, again, since it's just you and me, the mayor of the city and the county executive, um, their offices respectively are two blocks and three blocks up the street on the one-way streets. They have to buy, drive past both those buildings every day as they come and go from their offices. So to see the sector bubbling and people going and, you know, people walking out with name tags or, yeah. you know, young adults yeah. over here for a cheerleading event or people, I'm going to say people that are in business suits, but we don't wear as many suits as we used to, at least they're not in their pajamas on a Zoom anymore, right? <laughs> that are walking up and down the street and they recognize, they see the restaurants are full and things of that nature. Uh, it certainly helps the understanding of the importance of the industry to a community. Yeah, that is so perfect. There was a DMO a number of years ago that had had you know, presence downtown. That's where the visitor center was. And then there was that kind of moment in time, I'm guessing back in the 90s, maybe the aughts, where they had the feeling that, you know, we should be out at the interstate because then people will stop and then we can drive them downtown because if we're located downtown, they may not find us. And so they went out to the interstate for a while and right. then they, it really was totally uh, political and public affairs related. It wasn't about serving the visitor. They began to realize that the county board just wasn't engaged as much as they used to be. And so, yeah, they moved the visitor center back across the street from the county courthouse, big awning that says visitor center so that those folks are going to see yep. every time they go to the courthouse for their, you know, biweekly meetings, they're going to go, oh yeah, visitor center. There's people in there. Wow. Look at that. There, there is a visitor economy here. And that's, that kind of proximity is amazing. So you mentioned the word relevancy. And so for your final question, we often say that DMOs don't control venue, dates, pricing, level of service, but you do with the facilities you manage. But when we had our pre-episode call, you said that another advantage was that the CVB's relevance has rarely been questioned. Tell us more about that. Well, I'm not sure that I use the word rarely. I would like to think it's rarely been questioned, but I think that it, it, it gives you the ability because you manage both facilities. It also gives you the ability to make decisions, as I suggested early, with the retail tenant to not make money on event. Now, you're not going to lose money, yeah. uh, but if the difference between an event being in this community and having a banquet that they have a price point of, I'm going to pick a number, $40, and typically you're at $50 for that banquet, you have the, the choice to not make money on that banquet or make less money because you also manage the convention center so that you can host the conference or the convention in town so that there's 500 rooms or a thousand rooms or it's a citywide or countywide or whatever it might be but their core is that they're not paying room rental and while the convention center might not negotiate that room rental because they don't have the benefit of the convention bureau we do so maybe it makes it very very fortunate for us there and then by managing the facilities, it gives you, and you know, I never knew this was going to be a byproduct and, and other people that do studies on the types of things, I don't know how you, you put a dollar amount to it, but it gives you access to everyone. It gives you access to the decision makers. It gives you access to the local vice presidents of the bank. It gives you access to city council members. It gives you access to the hoteliers because they're coming to events that are in your facility and you're standing at the door saying hello, or they're hosting an event at your facility and you're standing next to the president of the United Way and you're saying, wait, you know, you're ties a little crooked before you go up on stage, let me fix it for you. And you're developing those relationships um, behind the scenes that go a really, really long way so that when you need help with a project or when you need help attracting the convention 
to the area, to the community, or maybe even to one of the buildings, you know those people, they know you, they know what type of product you're going to deliver, because if they've experienced you with the convention bureau, they probably assume to a certain degree that if you're the same team that's running the convention center, you're going to get that same level of product. If they've experienced a refined meal with a nice glass of wine at the convention center, or they've been to a wedding over at Greystone, they're going to assume when they work with you for the bureau, if they're a board member for the Ohio Association of, you know, public officials, that they're going to experience that type of thing when they come and work with the convention bureau. So I think that that helps us sort of tell a bigger story and paint a bigger a mosaic or a picture um, as far as what that does to a community. And it gives you the ability to understand the unique, authentic aspects of the community also to talk about that as, as the greater good and not just focus in on, on, on one or the other. And I think that those are some of the things that gives us the advantage when we're talking uh, to our potential clients and when we're talking to local people that understand how important, that's what it really comes down to, how important this industry in the sector is to the economic vitality of a community. Yeah. And to that point, it's kind of like when we both got into this industry, DMOs in many parts of the country were actually managing and running events uh, and festivals and those kinds of, you know, public gatherings. And then in the 90s, we kind of got pushback from our hotel communities saying, guys, you're spending all this time on this event and we might have scored 10 rooms. And we went, okay, that, the ROI doesn't sound like it, it, it makes sense. And yet we're seeing a lot of DMOs get back into the event business. And part of it is, I think, a, a more sophisticated look that, yeah, you might not get a room night today, but if you get somebody to town for a day trip and they go, wow, I had no idea. We've got to come back here for a long weekend. That Those room nights are going to come in maybe a few months. But the other part of it is, is that that's what elected leaders and community leaders think we do. Right, right. They think we should be running events to attract people. And so part of, I think, the renewed interest, as time consumptive as it is, of doing events is that that's the expectation. And so let's give them something tangible to touch and see and experience. And they go, oh, yeah, man, those guys are great. We love them. Right. That's exactly right. But I think that I would caution that we go into it understanding what I would call the illusion of activity. So they can see and feel and touch a festival at the fairgrounds or a home and garden show at the convention center or wherever it might be. But is that really driving revenue for the community? The illusion is that it is, is that actual activity is that, is that happening, is that manifesting in, in, in gate receipts for a building or a hotel or an attraction or whatever it might be. So they are fantastic and they are relevant. I think that a balance sheet review before we get into those too deep is important. And that's where we get sort of into the lead leverage partner kind of concept of things where it might make sense, maybe not for us to lead it, um, but we can help leverage it with a partner. Um, so we'll, because, you know, you find those people in the community that have that expertise in that space and you sort of put them out front, you put a little rocket fuel in there as best you can and, and let that happen. And then everybody sees it, everybody benefits from it. Um, and as I always say, if it's something you're engaged in and something you believe in, it's the single most important thing. XYZ group doesn't care about ABC group and ABC group doesn't care about XYZ group, but they each care about their own event uh, more than anything because that's what they're engaged in uh, and that's where their um, their passion is. So to make sure that we continue to lift those events up, I think is really, really important, but balance sheet analysis so that we don't get caught holding someone's negative revenue um, stream is, is, is important. Yeah, both are 
totally critical. So time for your bonus round question. I'm going to take you back 10 years. And you are at that moment in the hunt for the president CEO job. You are have been named interim director of the Bureau and the Knight Center. And most of us, I don't think, would feel that we had to go through an audition. I mean, you know, you, you've been working there for a number of years. They know you. They appreciate your talent. And yet you are hosting an event that you've got president and former president in the building, Secret Service everywhere. This event has to come off absolutely perfectly. Tell me what was going through your mind because you're in the hunt for the job. You know that this could be a make it or break it moment in your life. Tell me about that night. Yeah. So talk about not controlling your own destiny. So just a little bit of backfill. So I, <laughs> I spent, I spent um, seven months uh, as interim director while the, the board did a, a national search and the great peeps that search why I did. It. And I threw my hat into the ring and, and to say it was a stressful time. I had just lost my uh, mentor of 17 years, Susan Hamo, who I know you know very well, yeah, um, had right. passed away. Um, and, and very quickly, there was a, a snap reaction to make me interim. So that, And I'd been with the organization at that point for 17 years and in my CEO position for probably five or six. Just to sort of steady the waters is, you know, you lose a, a huge sort of um, uh, icon within the industry. Then they hire Searchwide. We're in the middle of the process, um, roll the uh, clock ahead a little bit. It's August 2012. And we find out during the presidential election campaign that then President uh, Obama uh, is going to come to the building with the first lady. Uh, so they're going to come to the building, uh, no pressure. And then we find out that a week later, because Ohio at, at that particular point in 2012, and these are not political statements, they're just statements of fact, yeah. uh, was a swing state. Absolutely. That a week or a week and a half later, uh, former President Bill Clinton's going to come to the building. So you have a presidential and former presidential visit within basically within 10 days. And anybody that's done a presidential visit knows that it is a huge lead up to what they do. <laughs> and afterwards, you're spent for a solid half a bottle of whiskey in about a week afterwards. Words, uh, just to recoup. So we had them both within about 10 days. And I knew at that time, besides the pressure of trying to navigate the team and as well as sort of, you know, get your name out there and make sure that you're the person that they select, that these were going to be pivotal moments that I never anticipated. You know, you're doing all your practicing of your interview questions and your answers and making sure you see the right people and sort of, you know, lobby for yourself. Never thought that this was going to come into the space, but it did. And it all happened one day and I think, you know, probably two weeks later, because they don't do a lot of advanced time. They were in the building. Uh, the events came off without a hitch. I got to meet both of them, obviously both, you know, very distinguished and articulate and, and enjoyable conversations and gave you access to that. Um, and at that point, you're not thinking about the job. You're just thinking about the 9,000 details that possibly could go wrong um, because that's what you do. Um, Secret Service, everything going on, all, you know, the, the community's eyes are all, all on at 5,000 people in the buildings, the signs, the whole rallying, the pomp and circumstance, et cetera. You go home and you just don't know. Um, <laughs> at the end of the day, roll the clock ahead about five weeks later, uh, got a call from the board chair. Didn't mention that I passed the test of having two, you know, a president and a former presidential visit within 10 days. Didn't mention that as that was sort of the the, the last box to be checked. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, President Obama got the job for another four years. And, and at the end of the day, I got the job. Um, and it's been 10 now, um, 
actually it'll be 10 this fall, um, 10 since then. So I think uh, hopefully it seems like it worked out for everybody, but that was, that yeah. was, uh, that was quite a time in my life and quite a time for the staff too. Cause you, you had to motivate them. You had to, you know, let them know that you believed in them and hopefully that they believed in you when they're about to host the biggest event that they've ever hosted. And we all remember it. We all look back on it and cause it was, it was quite a time, uh, but it all worked out well. Yeah. What a great story. And yeah. And you passed the test. Passed the test. It's great. Got the vote. Hey, Greg, thanks again for so much that you've done uh, over the years, uh, both for your community and for our industry as a whole, and continue to do in the DMO sector. While managing destination facilities can be kind of a poison pill in some cases, you have found amazing success and you are a model, I think, for any destination that wants to go forward. And uh, if I'm sure if anybody is thinking about is this a possibility or if it's being talked about in the community, I'm sure that you would be willing to, uh, to share your expertise and your experience with people and, and guide them to the way that it actually can work because I think it can, it just doesn't very often. Hopefully you'll be in a position to, uh, to assist those of us uh, that, may want to go down that road. Yeah, I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody. It's Hopefully it's obvious I'm very passionate about what we do and passionate about the, the sector. And I appreciate your compliments. I will accept them partially on my behalf, but mostly on the behalf of the staff because they're the ones that really do the work. But I, I, and, and I appreciate your friendship, Bill. Yeah, it's been fun. And I continue to uh, enjoy our times together when we, uh, I wouldn't say break bread because it normally is uh, clinking glasses at uh, industry conferences. So hope to see you in Toronto. Clink, clink. I'll see you there. All right. Excellent. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and your peers. We are back and looking forward to sharing, as we said on the original website, innovative ways to tell people where to go. Past episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most podcast platforms. And subscribe, and then you get notified the minute that new episodes drop. Thanks again to our episode sponsor, 26 Digital, a full-service agency that offers integrated marketing solutions exclusively to DMOs and members of the travel, tourism, and hospitality industries. Dave, Brian, and the rest of the 26 team assist DMOs with developing meaningful and successful digital marketing strategies. You can find them at 26digital, all letters, no numbers, 26digital.com. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find more on our services to the DMO world, plus links to our book, Destination Leadership, the Z Newsletter, our position papers on board diversity and the future of community marketing, as well as links to earlier episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. <laughs>